Hi, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 25th of September 2019 Hong Kong Stories podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. School is back in for Hong Kong, and we understand the pressures to perform and get good grades that students are under. Everyone, including ourselves, have expectations of what you can or should or ought to be doing. This week, we tread the streets of Hong Kong in the approaching autumn. We'll be listening to a story from Neherika about a time when she felt the pressure. After Neherika, a story from Francis about expectations his family had of him. Before we get to today's stories, though, a big, huge hug goes out to our loyal listeners in our Hong Kong hometown. We know you have a lot to think about. And we're grateful you spend time listening to our stories. Thanks go out too to our listeners around the world, especially listeners this week in Toluca, Mexico, Dundalk in Ireland, Chichester in the UK, and Terrigal in Australia. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. October is a busy month for us storytellers. We have our regular show on Wednesday the 23rd, which will have the theme Unearthed and be hosted by Mel. We also have our very first Student Story Slam on Friday the 25th of October, not the 26th like I've been saying for the last two podcasts, where the students, 11 to 18 years old, are invited to write and perform their stories on stage. If you'd like to find out more about either of these events or any of the other cool stuff we do, go to hongkongstories.com. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than drama. It's better than comedy. It's real life. And now with the story from the April show with the theme Transition, here is Neherika. I was uh, 15 the first time it happened. I was so bloated. I felt like a balloon about to explode. I was suffocated and I was nauseous. It was peak winters in Delhi and yet I, I was sweating. I was restlessly moving my arms around my chest, my neck. I could feel, I could feel ants crawling under my skin. When the usual Indian home remedies didn't give me any relief, parents rushed me to the hospital. What is wrong with my daughter? Mom asked the young doctor who was at the emergency ward that night. <laughs> Exams. She's distressed, that's all. While I didn't want to believe that young, arrogant-looking doctor, he wasn't wrong. It was a month before my public exams and I was putting an excessive amount of pressure on myself to do well. I had to do well. Everybody expected me to do well. My parents, my teachers. I could not disappoint. I must not disappoint. This is probably the first memory I have of my fear of failure. So at that time, I didn't have this term for it. Three years ago, it was the Friday before Christmas. I happily skipped into work humming Christmas carols. 
It was also the Friday before my much-awaited three-week holiday. Naturally, I was in a good mood. I had already wrapped up everything I needed to do before year-end, so my plan for the day was just to chill. With that plan laid out, I get comfy in my chair and log in. On top of my email, I see announcement for the associate promotions for that year. Wow, I had completely forgotten that the promotions are announced this time of the year every time. Intrigued, I quickly opened the email. Ah, Ashley got promoted. Ashley and I have been good friends since we interned together. She and I joined full-time at the bank at, together, class of 2013. Really happy for her. Hmm, Jack made it too. Also class of 2013. Then one after the other, I see names of peers who joined with me. I see Uma. I see Joyce. The other Joyce. Amy, who sits right next to me. Now as I scroll through the list, I am no longer reading the names. I'm just searching for my own. I get to the bottom of the list and I keep scrolling. Not there. Maybe I missed it. Control F. Find Neharka. No results found. Disbelief and defeat hit me at the same time. I quickly did the math. 80% of the people who joined with me made it to the next level. I'm the bottom 20%? Disappointment, anger, frustration, regret, a porridge of emotion was stirring in me. But I think most of all, I felt deep shame. I was ashamed of myself. I felt like I disappointed everyone who believed in me. My parents, my managers, my mentors. I had failed them. I had failed. Familiar sensations took over my body. I was nauseous. I was sweating. I needed to take my jacket off. My arms were restlessly moving around my chest, my neck. The ants were crawling under my skin. She stressed, that's all. I reminded myself. I can pull myself back together and get over this. And that's exactly what I do. I get up, I walk over to Ashley and I give her a big hug to congratulate her. She's happy and I'm happy for her. Already feeling lighter, I start walking to the pantry to get a drink for myself. As I was walking, a colleague called from behind. Niharika, congratulations! Um, not me. I smiled, but I could feel a lump in my throat. And I could feel a tear about to drop. So instead of the pantry, I rushed to the washroom and sobbed silently. Why? Why not me? I could not let that question ruin my holiday. So I decided to ask my ex-manager, who's also a trusted mentor. Let me look into it, she said. I'm sure there's a good explanation. Later that afternoon, my senior manager called me into his office. This is it. Moment of truth. 
he's probably going to tell me to focus on my work instead of worrying about the rewards. <sighs> I walk into his office. He turned his computer screen towards me and on it was an internal HR page that said associate promotion eligibility criteria. I start reading. Minimum 2 years of service if you have a postgrad degree. Minimum of 3 years of service if you have an undergrad degree. Shit. I was not eligible. I made a complete fool of myself. Unlike my peers, I only had an undergrad degree and would not be considered for promotion for at least another year. Before I could say anything, my the senior manager reached out to me with a warm smile. Harka, if you were eligible, we would promote you in a heartbeat. You're doing well, and trust me, we will look after your career. His smile rubbed off on me. I haven't disappointed him. He still believes in me. I haven't failed. Not yet, at least. With my confidence restored, I walked out of his office feeling almost as cheerful as I did that morning. I didn't pause to think then, but I do now. Is failure really such a bad thing? Do successful people never fail? I do not want this feeling to constantly haunt me. But I know the change will not come overnight. Until it does, this is just my food for thought. Thank you. Failure is not always a bad thing, but it's also useful to remember that some things take time and they're worth waiting for. Neherika started coming to our storytelling workshops and it wasn't long before she felt she could challenge herself to get up on our stage. If you're looking for new challenges that don't require a final exam in a supportive environment where you can learn new skills, come to one of our free weekly workshops. Find them through our website, hongkongstories.com. And now with a story from the 2016 Hong Kong International Literary Festival. Here It's Francis. Accountant. Lawyer. Doctor. It's a father's dream. Every father's dream. Well, at least every Asian father's dream. Professional footballer. It's a father's dream. Every father's dream. Well, at least every Aussie father's dream, every Asian father's worst nightmare. Now, I imagine my parents were no different to other migrant parents. They worked hard and they saved hard, and they put their children on a conveyor belt to a better life. School, university, career. Education, pride, security. And if you know my family, you'd understand why. You see, my father ran out of money while at university, forcing him to give up on his dream. No money, no security. No security, no degree, no pride. But I too had a dream to play soccer 
for Australia, an Asian father's worst nightmare. But ironically, it was my father who actually ignited that dream. He introduced the game to me at four years old. At eight, somehow he managed to organise for the Australian team to take me to one of their games as one of their own, on their team bus, in the change room, and then home again. For 12 consecutive years, he sent me off to football boot camp. Now, this was no ordinary boot camp. This was live-in residential soccer school. 36 camps in total, 84 weeks, over 4,000 training hours. Now, that's not normal. But who's thinking normal when you're fueling a dream? And as though to tease me, at the age of 16, he sent me here to Hong Kong to train full-time. Now, in 1985... Soccer was at its peak here, and I too felt I was at the top of my game. But one year out from fulfilling my dream, I was told to trade my dream for security and pride by the very person who ignited and fueled that dream, my father. Fast forward to the present day. I've become a father my father a grandfather, and my son is a grandson, a grandson my father sees as his very own son, a future accountant, lawyer, or doctor. So imagine my father's dismay when I proudly announced that our Chris has just been selected to play for Hong Kong at the Under-16 Asia Cup. It's a tournament rich in history, a tournament Hong Kong had never pl played in. And there was my Chris, miles away from medical school, but one small step from fulfilling a father's dream. Or so it appeared. But the problem was coaches. Coaches are an odd lot. Coaches actually claim that coaching is harder than playing. Their logic, they can't actually play for the players once they're on the pitch. Well, based on that fuzzy logic, I would say that parenting is even harder. Because as a parent, you don't even get to select the team, right? <laughs> All you can do is wish and will and hope for the best. And that's all I could do when my son was not selected for game one against Japan. And as I stared down my computer for game two, all I could do was wish and will. And I started thinking, well, if coaches are odd, team sport is even more peculiar. Because if you think about it with soccer, right, there's 11 players on a pitch so you've actually got 11 chances to play in one game, which at that moment was a bit of a relief because the first 10 names that flashed up on my computer didn't contain Chris. And just as my palm was getting sweatier, my pulse was racing a little quicker, the 11th name came up. And this time, it wasn't a local Chinese name. Hirokoni Harima. What the fuck? That is not my son's name. <laughs> Harima, Tiger, the Japanese kid, he's a nice lad and he's a good player. But it doesn't change the fact that is not my son. Now, to say that I was moderately disappointed, an understatement, a little pissed off, close to the truth. Very disappointed and very pissed off, an accurate description, particularly as the clock ticked down to the end of the first half and further away from a father's dream. And at that point, all I could do was wish and will. 
come on, coach, make a change, any change. If you make one, you'll make two. If you make two, you make three. If you make three, the probability of my son getting on that pitch and fulfilling a father's dream increases. And at that precise moment of wishing and willing, the camera pans over to the fourth official. He's got the substitution board in hand. Hong Kong are about to make a substitution. Two off, 16 on. Now, in the excitement of the substitution, my mind becomes befuddled. I see this boy enthusiastically run onto the pitch and join the team huddle. His name? J.H. Chung. J.H. Chung? Who the hell is J.H. Chung? Now, you have to understand, I've known these boys for four to five years. I know every first name, surname, nickname, Chinese name. I even know every squad number. You see, convention says that if you qualify for a championship, you retain the same squad number from the qualifiers. My Chris, he was 20. Who on earth is 16? Who on earth is J.H. Chung? We have a... We selected a Japanese boy, but J.H. Chung, he sounds Korean. Perhaps I just didn't know these boys as well as I thought. J.H. Chung. Jun Hong Chung. Christopher Jun Hong Chung. Christopher Chung. Chris Chung. It's Chris. It's Chris. Quick, everyone. Chris is on the pitch. He's on the pitch. They used his Chinese name. So over they run. Little brother, middle brother, mother grandmother and even the grandfather comes shuffling over and joins the huddle as we proudly watch our Chris play against his country of birth my dream Australia (laughs) my son fulfilled my dream I fulfilled my father's dream and my father what became of my father well having secured his family's future He fulfilled his own dream. He graduated from university at the tender age of 66. And now, what do I want for my children? Well, just like their grandfather, I want them to to have a dream, to set high goals and do whatever it actually takes to eventually achieve them, so long as one of them ends up being either an accountant or lawyer or, thankfully or hopefully, a doctor. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to today's stories brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. The music for this podcast was created and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell.